it's okay to not know and stop giving people advice. <laughs> just knock it off. Just listen. Quit giving advice because you don't want people giving you advice because what works for them might not work for you. Just be there. Walk next to people. Listen. Give people time. Time is way more important than money. You are hearing stories from people whose lives have been interrupted, and yet they're using their stories to help others. Have you ever thought of using your story to help others by writing a book or creating a podcast? Well, then you're in the right place. Go to www.coachlaurie.com for all the details. Has your life, your dreams been interrupted? Good news. It is possible to reinvent our lives. People are doing it every day, and some are brave enough to share the struggles, disappointments, and challenges. If you are looking for a new beginning, a do-over, or to rediscover your passion, maybe even find a new one, then grab a cup of coffee and let's talk. Interrupted, Act 2, Reinventing Your Legacy, with your host, Coach Lori. Winona Sari has been a friend of mine for a couple of years now. We met as co-workers and became fast friends. Winona, welcome. Thank you. We always start with what's awesome about your life now, where you are now. So tell us what you're up to. Oh, goodness. Life is amazing. I have a two-track life going on. On one side, I'm excited about where I'm at. I'm in the master's program in the clinical mental health right now, and I'm about to start pre-internship. I just got inducted into the Honor Society for Psychologists. I'm like, I'm stoked about that. Also, I just got invited to Sonora, California, which my book that I published, a lot of stories are about that. They are having their first Juneteenth. I will be flying over there to sell my book. The stories are mostly about my life there. It's been so fun to watch your journey. One of the things that has so impressed me is you travel a lot. Can you tell us about some of the places you've been going and what that's been like for you? I started pretty much traveling when I was like 16 years old. I think I have gypsy in my blood. And I say that because traveling is an outlet for me. I'm born and raised in Detroit, Michigan, and my mom pretty much never left the block. She was raised on the same block since she was nine months old. I was pretty much born on that block and I couldn't wait to get off the block. And when I got off the block, of course, I kept going. Lately, I've just been mapping out places that I'd like to explore. On my whiteboard, I got all these tropical places and it's mostly places where islands where brown people live. What I have observed is I have grandchildren. They have come and added a name of the place that they like to visit too. It seems like when I watch your Facebook that you go a lot. Is it like every month? Because I've been in school and we get a break every three months. The traveling is also part of my self-care. I'm in a program that promotes self-care. I also care for my daughter who has a rare disease where her brain attacked itself. She was left with brain damage. She also has two children. I have the privilege and honor of taking care of her and her two children. Also privileged and honored with helping my daughter who's now in recovery. Before she was in recovery, I was helping with her small two children. And now she's been diagnosed with cancer. I get to again, help there when it's necessary. I'm a grandma. Yes. I'm are. a grandma. 
part of the traveling is self-care. And sometimes it's an outlet. So if I go someplace and I take them, they go about their business and they get to give me some time to myself. And I love traveling with them because it also is educational for them. There's a lot of benefits in it. And we have places on our radar that they want to go. I only have so many more years with them anyway, because they're growing up. This is part of me leaving my legacy. And this is just an opportunity. I love it. You mentioned earlier you're going to a book signing. So tell us a little bit about your book. So the name of my book is Woman of Worth. If I can recover, anyone can. The title came from, well, first of all, I believe it came from I needed to own my worth as a human being, as a person of color, um, because I came from believing that I was, that's a damn shame. And I say that because that's the term I heard when I was young. I was born out of wedlock. That was what was said around me so much that I just believed that's who I was. Growing up in adverse childhood experiences, drinking alcohol at age 11, that was the lifestyle. I didn't understand or know my worth. And I was searching and seeking for it. I left home in search of who I was. I found that out on the journey. And I am a woman of color. A beautiful woman of color. Yes, you are. And I know my worth. And I get to live that. Travel is just a part of it. And passing on my legacy to my beautiful, beautiful children and grandchildren. I'm working on breaking the cycle. I have intergenerational trauma. And I did give some of that to my, you know, passing that on in the DNA with my children and even my grandchildren. And we're working. We're doing the inside job work to break that cycle and it's an uphill battle but we're doing it i see the results if we can recover anyone can it's exciting that's what drew me to you is to know you and then to think you have this backstory is just baffling because the way you live your life the philosophies which we'll talk more about are so i want to say it's like the law of attraction they draw people to you but your life wasn't always this grand, was it? No, it wasn't. Want to tell us where you came from? Yeah, I came from Detroit, Michigan. I lived in poverty, grew up in domestic violence. My mother was untreated mental health. I was conceived. My father took off and went to the Navy and abandoned my mom to have me. They were 16 years old, out of wedlock. My mom was ostracized from her peers, which left her with her parents, which put her in poverty. Then she got married to my stepfather, who was a, an addict. Come to find out, my biological father came back from the Navy an addict. So now I'm just surrounded in swirling in domestic violence, addiction, a struggling kid with big emotions, crying all the time, abuse, believing that I am the damn shame, the oldest kid of three seven years older than one sister, 10 years older than the other. So I felt very lonely trying to figure it out. I was given the wine at age 11 because I was always having a stomach ache. That stomach ache I now know was connected to my anxieties and my stresses, but I was going into puberty and the wine was given to me to soothe that because that was the best solution the family had. I didn't have a choice. I became an alcoholic and I enhanced. By the time I was 18, I was a full-blown crackhead. And of course, what did I hear? Oh, you crackhead. That's what I heard. That's what I was. My face was always on the bottom of everybody else's shoe all the time. And that's the way I lived my life. 
with my face on the bottom of everybody else's shoe. They were all drinking, but they were all better than me. They were all untreated mental health, but I was the one that was the worst. I heard that recently. They was like, you are always the worst. Okay. I'm 15 years sober and I just heard that. And the reason why I was the worst to them was because when I saw someone hurt or I saw blood, I was the one that cared. And what I learned was my autonomic nervous system was underdeveloped. I couldn't regulate my big emotions. I couldn't regulate myself. So I was always screaming inside. And when I saw people hurting, I'm like, a nervous wreck. And I never wanted to see people hurt because I understood how that felt. I'm around people who are always saying, still to this day, I don't care. So I took up the load to care. Still to this day, I care. And I'm not sorry that I care because my caring has taken me places that I want to be. I'm happy to be where I'm at. I want to care. And the love that have come from caring is what I've been seeking the whole time. But at that time, what I was getting for caring was battered and punished and belittled and demeaned because I didn't fit with those people who didn't care. You were set up for failure. The whole time. How did you find your way out? Oh, I had taken the last beat down. I had been working at the Internal Revenue and I was so depressed. I got accused of something that I didn't do. My mom hit me with a bat. I had my IT babysitting my kids. And I came back and I was accused of taking her credit card. But I didn't even know it at that time. I didn't know what was going on. So I came back to get my kids. And I hear all this ruckus. And she comes up to me. And she swings the bat. And I pull my arm up. And she hits me with it. And I'm like, oh, my God. And I take my daughter. My daughter was young at the time. And she was like, mom, let's get out of here. And I take off walking. I was so sick because I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know what she was angry about. I ended up catching pneumonia because I just let this just make me sick to my stomach. And I in the hospital with a cast on my arm and tubes up my nose. And I remember waking up. I look at the foot of my bed and there's my mom and my sister. And I just turned over in disgust. And I fell back to sleep. Fast forward 10 years, my younger sister got angry and she called me. She said, they found the credit card that I was being accused of taking behind that sister that was with my mom bed. I had no idea. I hadn't even gone to the house. So why were they accusing me? I was always a scapegoat. That was the end. And that was it. I went to the bus station and I begged this lady. I begged that young lady to just help me get out. I ended up getting two one-way tickets to California on the Greyhound bus for 50 bucks. I had no idea. I just wanted out and I got out and that was my way out. And it was meant. I took my way out and I haven't looked back since. You have 15 years in recovery. Showed up in a town that I didn't know anything about. I, don't know. I showed up in LA with the homeless people, by the way. I didn't know anybody. So I ended up finding a shelter and in that shelter, I'm like, hmm, I don't know what to do. But it led me to meet the people who were in recovery, but I didn't take advantage of it. I ended up getting a job, finding a place to stay, and having a car all in six weeks. And it was this lady I met. I had my hair in braids, and I had on a jumpsuit, and, and I had my badge from Turn Revenue because I went and got my money out the bank and had my badge. And I took my badge to this, it was a temporary agency. 
And I said, I'm looking for a job. And her name was Glenda. She said, oh, you're looking for a job? She said, I want you to sit here and I want you to take this test. So I did it. You know, they give you these little tests and they make you take a typing test and all this. And I did all this with this jumpsuit and my hair and braids. She was impressed. She said, oh, you did great. She said, I want you to come back tomorrow and I want you to be dressed like you're looking for a job. Went to the shelter that night and I wet my hair back. Had one dress and one pair of shoes. I was smart enough to pack that. I put this dress on. I put them shoes on. And I walked to that place the next morning and she was like, oh my God, you look like the same person. So she said, let me see your ID. So I showed her my ID. She went in the back her building and she came back and she said, well, I just called Internal Revenue and they told me that I have to keep this badge because it's their property. I said, okay. She said, here, I'm going to give you my phone number and my address. She said, if you need anything, I just want you to come and knock at my door. Okay. I said, okay. So the day came where I had 10 bucks left. I was hungry. I walked to her house and I knocked at her door and that lady let me in. She let me stay in her house. And that's when I found a job, got my own place within six weeks. And she was so impressed. I'm still friends with her to this day. That built my confidence. But of course, I slipped right back in. It was easy to find my way back into the drugs. I couldn't stay sober. So I ended up leaving that area and and going to this small town, Sonora, by myself back into the shelter, met a lady. I put her in my car with her four kids and I had five kids and we drove through the mountains and we end up in the angels camp and in the angels camp we was living in a trailer oh it's beautiful we had the horses on the property and everything and I don't know what happened I had an attitude or something and the lady who was counseling she said come here sweetie she said did I hear you say something I said um I don't know I admitted to something she said I want you to go down the road and I want you to go to this club so that's when she sent me to the Alano club the Sonora Alano club and I went into that Alano club now I want to tell you Sonora California the population was 2000 I must have made 2001 I didn't see a black face in there uh, me and my five black kids end up moving over there to that shelter. And I started going to that AA meeting and I stayed sober for 14 months with those people. By the way, I'm still friends with a lot of those people. By the way, that planted the seed. And I started going to therapy and I started putting together my family tree and I started tracing things. But I got loaded after 14 months because I found the hottest guy on campus over there. Oh, my God. Oh, 21 years later. Yeah, we oh, my five black kids, his two white kids, we combined the family. But I got loaded on NyQuil because he worked in San Francisco and it was a two hour drive and I got a cold and I sucked down this NyQuil and it took me out. It took me years to get back and that was in 1992 so about 1994 I got loaded and it took me from 1994 I struggled back and forth I would get six months I'd get a year I'd be struggled but in 2002 he ended up getting sober and was sober for 11 years and I struggled back and forth and in 2007 I my my kids had moved over here with their friends and I came over here Landed over here and ended up, my daughter said, huh, mom, I know where a meeting is. I said, you do? She said, yeah. She drove me to the building. <laughs> she said, don't come back until the meeting is over. Now, mind you, she was smoking meth and heroin, but she dropped me off at the AA meeting and gave me $5 and told me don't come back till the meeting was over. I said, okay. I went in there 
And the people were so welcoming and so kind. They they called me by my name, and that's what made the difference. Like, I, it had been a long time. Like, you know, the name calling was just in my head, and it, even though it had been years. But, you know, it was just in my soul. It's so deep buried, and I've just been walking with that in my DNA. And it, it took all these people. It was a room full of people that just was, they made that first meeting by calling my name and welcoming me and inviting me back. And it had been a long time since I had been, not just my name called, but invited back. Because I had just been back and forth. My story is so long. You got to read the book. Back and forth doing this and that. It's just too much. Like I couldn't even drink and drug with the people in the streets anymore. So this was a big deal. And these people, I think, were the people that I had been dreaming about. Because I had been dreaming. I was so desperate so desperate to change my life. Like my grandmother passed in 2006. And I swear when she passed, I was wanted to be clean and sober, but I couldn't. And I know my grandmother prayed for me a lot. And she was one person that I know loved me. And I believe it was her that kept me hanging on because I suicide was an option for me a couple of times. And it was her that I kept going to and to get nurturing because it was nobody else on earth, I promise you that. But when she passed, I just thought I should not live anymore. My grandma was my breath. And I know she prayed for me a lot. And it ended up that I, I'm honoring her today. My sobriety day is the day after her belly button birthday. I don't know how that happened. I swear. I swear. I'm sober. October 12, 2007, her, be her belly button birthday is October 11. So, see, the universe kind of picks up stuff for a reason, a meaning and a purpose. And I needed a meaning and a purpose and I got it. So this room, I come in, I sat down and I grabbed the hold of that chair. I have a lady, she said to me, she whispered in my ear. And actually she's the reason why I'm in this program, the program that I'm in in college right now. She said, well, honey, when you came in, you were holding on to that chair. We saw the whites of your knuckles. We didn't know whether you were gonna stay or whether you're gonna bolt. <laughs> Have you heard, if not now, when? If not you, then who? Are you being prompted to write a book, to create a podcast? Check out Leaving a Legacy at www.coachlaurie.com that's coach, L-A-U-R-I-E, dot com. And let's get started on your second act now. Well, honey, when you came in, you were holding on to that chair. We saw the whites of your knuckles. We didn't know whether you were going to stay or whether you were going to bolt. <laughs> Fast forward to three years ago. I called her up and I was having some problems. She was like, oh my goodness. She said, I didn't even sell her anything. She just started getting excited and told me that she was going to write me a reference letter. I was like, I didn't even get nothing out. I didn't even tell you anything, right? I was just telling you what I was thinking. She ended up telling me about this program that they was going to love me and I should be there. And she wrote me a reference letter and I ended up getting this school and, and I'm in this school now and because of her. She saw me a long time ago, Lori. She saw my worth a long time ago when I walked in the doors the day that she saw me holding on to the seat and that she saw the whites of my knuckles. That's the kind of connection that I have with the people that I met in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. And it's those people and it's hundreds of those people is the reason why, and I needed them all. 
so to restore my soul, to give me reason, to give me purpose. They love, literally love me without asking for anything in return. That's beautiful. Something that I love about you when we connected, we talked about music because I worked in radio. I started to hear your story and I so wanted people to see someone who had struggled and then overcame. Since then, you have overcome so much more. And a thing that really stood out to me was you walked away from a situation that was not honoring you. And you walked into a situation where there wasn't any guarantee of money. There wasn't any guarantee of anything, but you had this big faith to do what you knew you needed to do regardless. And I loved watching that journey. Are you talking about the way I live my life? Because I have a different relationship with money than most people. So my relationship with money, and here's what I say, money don't make me, I make money. Because the world has told me that if I didn't have a house, and if I didn't have a car, and if I didn't have a big bank account, that I wasn't anybody. My statement in life is, I am somebody. I'm somebody if I have none of those things. Everybody is somebody. What are you saying to me? What are you saying to people? Why are you treating people like that? Everybody has dignity. Everybody has soul. Everyone is important. I don't care if they're living under a bridge. I don't care where they are, how they smell, how they look. Everybody is somebody. So I set out this whole journey to money is just a tool. When I need it, it comes. And let me tell you something. I've had a lot of money. I've gotten it. It goes just as fast. I started asking myself, what is my relationship with it? I'm not going to allow money to dictate to me who I am. And so when people come to me and tell me, oh, I'm paying you, hold up, wait a minute. Are you paying me to be who I am? No, you don't get to dictate to me who I am. So yeah, I walked away from a job because they tried to tell me that they were paying me. And then they tried to dictate to me who I should be. Didn't sit well in my soul. I walked away and I didn't have any money. I didn't have anything. Um, but I was unafraid. I was unafraid because I trust the universe. I got to tell you a little story about that. So I went to coffee the other day with a friend. Something is going on in my life that I feel like I have to sometimes have a talk with the universe. And sometimes I have to do physical things. We were at Starbucks and I put my purse down and I put my phone down outside at the table and I was going to walk inside. And she was like, oh, you're leaving your stuff? I'm like, yeah. And I thought about it. I said, I got to trust the universe. And I left it all. I took my card. I left the money that was in my wallet and I went in the Starbucks. I almost hesitated, but I said, something in me said, it's a must that you trust the universe at this time. And I went on in there and I didn't look back and we ordered and we even sat down and then we came out and guess what? First to cure my stuff. It was an act. It's a random act of trust because you know, most of the time we don't trust. We, here's what she said. No, I'm taking my stuff. She said, I'm not there yet. It's just an act. And sometimes I have to do physical acts because doubt is always there. And she almost planted the doubt. It was a struggle. And then I realized later, because my daughter's dealing with cancer, she was going on a cruise, and she later made a TikTok. And she was like, it's alcohol all around. And I called her, said, hey, how you doing? And she sounded like she was drowsy. And my friend, she said, oh, she sounded like she hot. I was like, oh, 
you know what? Maybe that's why I needed to trust the universe. Maybe deep down inside, I was thinking maybe she might drink. Maybe she might be on the pills that they gave her. But maybe I just need to trust the universe that she is going to do great. I shouldn't put myself through those kinds of worries. The universe got her. And maybe that's what that was all about the whole time. I remember when you first set out on this journey and you went on a trip. And I remember thinking, you have this different mindset about money and you make things happen. You manifest, you make your life happen. And it's been so fun, amazing to watch because it gives me hope. It gives me trust. It makes me think, huh, if she can do it, so can I. The book says, if I can do it, anybody can do it. That includes you. They talk about the layers, the onions and peeling back the layers. This is part of the process. No, you get there when you get there, but it's part of the process and we all have our layers to peel, but this is part of the process. It's part of the journey. It's up to you. We all have a choice. This is just what I choose. And this is where my security is. My security doesn't come externally. My security is internally, and it's not an easy job. It's really difficult. It's so hard, <laughs> I promise you, but it's so worth it. And that's where this worth is coming from. You see people glow. Where do they get that from? You said this is a practice. What does it look like for you? Changing our thoughts, our way of thinking is hard work. And I love that you said that. So what is that like for you? Is yeah, it's a lot of work. So first of all, I bring people into my thought life and the group of people change over time because as we grow, we change. I was just on the phone with a friend. She just moved here from Everett and she's been on a Navy boat. She's been around the world and she just decided to buy here a couple of years ago. She just came in my life. And you know what I said to her? The people that I need show up and the people that I don't need fall away. I said, I think you're here for a reason. So she is the next person. I, one of the closest friends I just had, she was so upset with me about my book. I had to let her go. And right when I let her go, here is this other lady that just moved here. It's trusting the process. My whole life has been the process of letting go. Now, if I keep holding on to what I, is familiar, the growth spurt sort of slows down. But I have to be willing to let go. And in some cases, for me, Lori, it's almost prying my fingers off one finger at a time. But just let go. So I don't know how to do that without help. So there's always a person in my life that I have to bring into my thought life. Because I can't change my thoughts with my own mind. The reason why there's this thing about living your way into a new way of living. You can't think your way into a new way of living. You got to live your way into it. Because when you live in, these processes happen. People come and you start to get new wisdoms. As you're living, experiences happen. Let it happen. It's the letting happen. When we trying to control things, we're setting ourselves up. And you know, most of us are really trying to control stuff. We really want to know the outcome. We really do. So I do a lot of prayer and do a lot of meditation. And I, you know, I do a lot of processing different things. I got a sponsor, I got a therapist. And, some, and sometimes those people change. They changed over time. And sometimes I don't want to tell you. I call my sponsor one time and say, I really didn't want to call you. I didn't want to tell you anything. She's so sweetie. I appreciate that. 
<laughs> I do a lot of what I don't want to do. Once I do it, it's like, oh my God, why come I didn't want to do that? Because fear and doubt tells me I dare you. It's the fear and doubt that challenges me. It also keeps me stopped. Challenging self is really a, it's a big job. It's a big job. <laughs> But I love it that you're not saying, oh, it's easy. It's a breeze. It's it's work, but it's worth it. My sponsor says things like this. Honey, it's a muscle in your brain that we don't hardly work sometimes, but we're just going to keep working it. <laughs> Before I let you go, what is it that you really would like people to know about reinventing yourself? Okay. It's almost, I think you know that I say this a lot. What do I want to be when I grow up? I'm still saying that because it changes over time. What I do is over time, there are certain things that I want to be or what I want to be like or what I want to practice. Lately, it's I really want to practice being non-judgmental. I really want to practice putting my hand over my heart so I can pr protect the harm from entering into my heart and so I can protect the love in my heart and so that I can let the love come from my heart. That's a huge thing. Like, I don't know how to always come from a place of love. I come from a place, you just hurt my feelings. Or I come from a place of, you know what you just did? Or I come from a place of, I'm going to get you for that. Or, you know, I just come from a different lot of places. Like, coming from a place of love looks like a lot of different things. Sometimes coming from a place of love can be just telling the truth. Sometimes coming from a place of love can be loving a person, whether they hurt you or not being kind, being loving. Sometimes coming from a place of love can just be self-care. If somebody's just being cruel to you, just taking care of yourself, backing off. Coming from a place of love can look so different in different situations. That is a practice. The other thing is, what does self-care look like? This is huge. See, I was so busy taking care of everybody else that I lost myself. And when you lose yourself, you run out of energy, you become irritable, your plate becomes over full, you shortchange yourself and you shortchange other people, really. I come back to the place of, if I don't take care of myself first, that's the selfishness. But it's not really being selfish. You can't give something you don't have. You just can't. Once I take care of myself, and I'm always taking care of myself, and then I can give to others. I take care of myself first, and then I take care of other people. And and this practice just keeps happening, and the energy just is nonstop. You can't run out if you take care of yourself first. And the people that come before you, different people that need care too. They keep coming. But you got to take care of yourself first, and the people keep coming. And you can just love and care and love and care. But so part of that is I tap into the universe because the universe is unlimited. Because if I am all about self Self-devour self. If I'm self-centered and self-seeking, that's where it ends. But if I tap into the universe, which is way bigger than me, the world is so big and there's so much to see. And it's so weird. I can't even, you know, I'll be on YouTube looking at all the corners and all the places. It's so beautiful. Like, I couldn't even travel all the places I want to go in my lifetime. So I start to thinking on that level. Think about the stars and the galaxies. That's how big the universe is. So it's unlimited. Try and Go there, tap into that, and know that the universe cares about little old me, little old you. We are tiny, we are small, but the universe cares. And we take that into huge consideration because a lot of times we don't. We're taught from little children, don't be selfish. But honestly, being selfish is a bit of self-care. Well, taking care of yourself first. 
like life is good. And I tell you, you heard what I said. I got the daughter with the brain damage. I got the granddaughter who got her problems. I got the daughter with the cancer. My my daughter just shaved her hair off. And my heart was like, oh, but, oh my. but listen, I looked at her and she was so beautiful. Her confidence. I saw something so beautiful. It blew me back. Tell you something. I had to learn the one more thing. I don't know everything. I have to say I don't know a lot. <laughs> That's the other piece. Just it's okay to not know and stop giving people advice. <laughs> Just knock it off. Just listen. Quit giving advice because you don't want people giving you advice because what works for them might not work for you. Just be there. Walk next to people. Listen. Give people time. Time is way more important than money. Such wisdom. Thank you so much, Winona. Where can we get your book? A Woman of Worth, If I Can Recover, Anyone Can. Amazon. Winona Sari. W-I-N-O-N-N-A-S-A-A-R-I. Thank you so much for having me. So beautiful. Do you have brain fog? Are you exhausted all the time? Do you struggle with depression? How about cravings? Imagine an enzyme that turns sugar into fiber. For a link to order your bottle, email me at lacoach at comcast.net. That's L-A-C-O-A-C-H at comcast.net. Three things we learned from Winona. Stop giving unsolicited advice. Try out a random act of trust. And maybe think about a different relationship with money where you just know it's going to show up when you need it. If you love this podcast, here's a big ask. Will you share with your friends and family? Subscribe, give us a review, and a five-star rating so that others looking to reinvent their lives will be able to get the help they're looking for. Thank you in advance. Coach Lori here. I am not anti-aging. I am all about aging gracefully. Did you know we stopped making collagen at a certain age? And did you know powdered collagen has to go through your whole digestive system? So I am a big fan of Glow Liquid Collagen. It helps me age gracefully, inside and out. To order, check the link below. By the way, if you order two at the same time, free shipping. Or if you would like to be an affiliate, make a little extra cash, click the affiliate link.